0: Okay, welcome back to another episode of Hidden in Plain Sight. We are your hosts. I'm Jenny. I'm
1: Echo.
2: And I'm Doug.
0: All right, so in today's episode, we're going to be going over or kind of dissecting a, um, a language bias and performance feedback report that we found online. Just for some context, I was looking for you know, has there been a study or some sort of report looking at the, the different types of feedback that people get at work, not just by gender, but also by race? And I came across this report and uh, we thought it would be interesting to kind of dissect what they did, what they did well and what they could have improved on. So I guess we can jump right in.
1: Do we need to give like a quick overview on what they mentioned as like, I, I think they have like a couple of like a bullet points on the main findings. So at least like audience are familiar with the content.
0: Okay. So the report was written by a, a company called Text.io and Echo could probably speak more to this because she actually got a demo from the, from this company, but it's a, a company that specializes in managing performance feedback. But Echo, could you tell us more about you know, what you know about Text.io?
1: Yeah, um, it's a a third-party small tech firm that specializes using, like, NLP, like National Language Processing, looking to the talent practices, including, like, hiring. And I think um, in the past where I got a demo from them trying to see uh, how they use their technique to identify some of the bias in the employer's job So make sure the job posting is getting unbiased uh, text so you can attract more diverse and be more uh, inclusive to your candidate. And um, I think in recent years, they also uh, apply a very similar technique and uh, in this round um, focused more on like a performance feedback that we all see and we all do in the company. Um, And this report is actually about that. Um, companies that you will see, uh, usually they publish research report in order for them to get more clients. So some of the content that they publish, it's very interesting, but definitely like a disclaimer that we do not get any promotion from them and nor do them um, ask us to do a promotion on them.
0: Thanks for providing that context. I think it's very helpful for um, to set the stage for our audience. Another thing that I think we should do that might be helpful is to just talk about performance management in general and why and why we're talking about this feedback report
1: yeah I think one thing interesting that in the report, they already also mentioned like why they started to dive deeper into this field. Um, I think one of the key connections they draw is about uh, employee retention. Because so one thing they did trying to get to is when they were analyzing the performance feedback data, they realized uh, the poor quality of the performance feedback actually shying people away. So they see people have no intention at work and more likely to leave their job. So that's like a big statement that you're trying to put to draw people attention on why you need to spend to look at your performance feedback. Darko can see you're nothing.
2: <laughs> you know, I, I agree with the premise that they have. Like, you know, if you have like good quality feedback and you know what your goals are, you're more likely to stay. Uh, I'll go ahead and go on a limb and agree with that general statement that everyone else uh, probably would too. And I think it's an interesting premise that they're going off of like, you know, showcasing like the information that they have access to uh, could potentially lead to that.
0: And what would you say your experience with feedback has been um, in the workplace?
2: Um, Most feedback I've gotten is kind of mediocre or like things that I've like already known or um, it wasn't surprising to me. So like for me, you know, I, I guess like there's that situational awareness where I knew what my maybe my weaknesses were already. I didn't need like someone else to point that out to me in the workplace. Like I, I would say like maybe I got much like, mediocre like feedback, but it like, I, I knew what I was getting into with
0: that.
1: What about you, Echo? Uh, I think I actually do think I got a lot of good feedback along my way, like in my uh, through my career, but. Oftentimes, it's not in the written format, meaning like I actually heard a bit more constructive and um, quality feedback through my conversation with the other person, and this person does not necessarily to be my boss. Whether or not the written feedback is a reflection of the same quality I receive, probably not. Um, I see some people put more effort into the written format. Some people care less about it. I do think... The, the missing link they probably haven't been able to uncover is the linkage between the career development and the, the quality of the feedback. And then how does that going to lead to this person going to stay or uh, leave? Because I almost feel like they, they, they're trying to see that linkage, but because the data um, they received is not designed in a way that captured this more systematically. way. Um, but I can clearly see the the feedback loop on the one's career path and then on the person's intention to stay.
0: Okay. So you're just ju- jumping right into the article. So I guess we could just jump in and
2: Well wait a second, Jenny, what about you?
0: Wait a wait, yeah, but what about you? I was going to <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> I thought I was going to um, be sneaky about this and just
2: nice try. go
0: into the article. Um, so I've been okay. I've been pretty fortunate with feedback. I, I think I've gotten pretty good feedback from my managers, both present and in the past. And I, I think a part of it is I'm very proactive about asking for feedback and opening up the conversation with what I'm good at and what I need to improve. And I think that kind of makes it an easier conversation to be had for, um, the, the manager. Mm. Yeah.
2: I love that. Like, I I love that you're in constant communication, uh, and you know, going in and you're right. Like good, actually feedback, the proxy really should be that. Like you should know throughout all this time, if you're surprised by anything on your performance appraisal, like it's, it potentially Mm -hmm. feels like retaliation at that point if you don't know about it because it's this buildup of all the stuff you've done throughout the year right so if you don't know about this or don't remember that that shouldn't yeah yeah hopefully people remember what they do or didn't do within the year
0: (laughs) (laughs) or you get feedback that is just not even surprising just underwhelming so there's you learn no new insights and you walk away from that meeting being like huh what was that about yeah
2: yeah yeah, or the fact that, you know, some people are trained managers and they're giving feedback just to give feedback. And that is just a, a whole nothing sandwich.
0: So I think that's a really good segue into the report. The report's premise is basically feedback is difficult to do. Not a lot of managers are good at it. And uh, and we'll get into this later, but it's even harder when there are things like gender and race at play. So where do we want to start?
2: Yeah, can I just say this is like um, like to describe this to our viewers and of course, or sorry, our viewers, our listeners. As I say they can't view us. This is more like a business report where they're giving us uh, an executive summary and key findings. It's quite different from the other readings that we've actually provided uh, to our listeners in like academic articles and HBR articles. Uh, so it's kind of to the point and has you know graphs here and there that will kind of bring people along. So. It's a much um, easier read, uh, I feel like, um, but then Pi has like less information than what um, uh, I'm more comfortable with. So we'll we'll dive into that later, though. But uh, more so, like a business uh, report.
0: That's a good that's a good point. Um, and you know, uh, the the problem is a lot of managers and leaders are going to be looking at a report like this. They're not going to spend time reading dense, you know, um, empirical studies combing through statistical analysis, they're gonna look at something like this. So, so being able to parse out what's insightful versus what you should take with a grain of salt, that's gonna be a really important um, skill to have as a manager. So the first word we can start with, or the first area that we can look at are the personality words that people use to describe Asians. And just for reference, uh, they looked at four different groups, white, black, Latino, and Asian professionals. So Asians were described as the, or were the most likely group to be described as ambitious compared to, for example, black employees. So I think we can start there.
1: I actually, I got a bit of a confused on that one and probably also surprised is the word. And we all know like Asians, and if you all caught up our our previous episode, you will know that Asians are usually described as less ambitious and non-dominant, Like I wouldn't necessarily associate Asian with ambition. Jenny mentioned ambitious is the word that they find on Asians, but I think what surprised me the most is they also find Asians are uh, more likely to be described as aggressive, three times more than whites. And I was like, why is that? I am got so confused. I can't really argue this is the fact because that's what they find, but I'm just thinking what is actually getting into this? Well, Let's
0: talk about it. So ambitious and aggressive. I think those two could, could those two things
1: be related? Yeah.
2: I would say like, um, you know, they, they did give us like some, if they gave us more information on like maybe what sector this was in, is this like, you know, private equity? Is it finance? Is it like, you know, startups? I think like maybe like context like that would be uh, helpful in this situation. I think they just mentioned that they got like, 25,000 people from 253 different organizations but didn't really say like what types or what sectors they're in because i was kind of thrown off to to, uh too uh as well just like you echo because i'm like the 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 research that we've done and the research that we've seen that have come from the last few decades and even uh even before that doesn't show that um that it's, it's kind of contra to what we've found as asians are viewed as submissive and as subservient and kind of the opposite of ambitious not that i'm you know against it. it's good that you know we're breaking the norms and stereotypes that's that's wonderful i'd love to see you know where where this is happening and to to see why why are Asians so aggressive in this industry <laughs>
0: you know that's a really good point um it doesn't say I don't think it says whether this was U.S. specific. So it says two
1: hundred fifty-three different organizations, twenty-five thousand people. I do know that um, like a lot of the company who work with Taxio are in the uh, tech industry and are rather than like a, mid to, a small to medium size. If you're looking at like two hundred something companies and with a total of twenty-five K employees, that's not a small uh, big. Tech firm or anything like that. So, I think it's safe to say it's a small to medium firms, and a lot of them are in tech. The interesting part there is, at least like how I rationalize that finding is like people don't like people being aggressive, and and but they also um, see this is more likely happen to certain group versus the other. For example, usually women are less likely to be expected to act aggressive than men. The issues here that I'm seeing there, wouldn't it be possible that because people are expecting Asians to not be aggressive, so when you act even the normal level of aggressiveness, you are getting called out or called out on like, hey, you're actually being aggressive and or ambitious. that's where I think could be at play here otherwise i couldn't explain why like i am very confused by like how asians are being called out of being like aggressive
0: so let me go through the rest of this um, table so asians are like i said the most likely group to be described as ambitious and then they are the least likely group to be described as passionate Less likely to be described as easy to work with compared Mm, to
2: whites. You know, it's kind of interesting because, you know, as psychologists, when we say personality, we probably think of like the big five. Uh, I think the way that this uh, report kind of showcases it by, uh, you know, indicating that these things are personality. So ambition, easy to work with, professionalism, like passionate. Uh, which is kind of kind of different from uh, I would say what I'm used to. So it did take me like a little while to wrap my head around it and try to make sense of it and not just brush it off. I think it is quite interesting. And going back to Echo's point, like yeah, I wonder what like why you know why Asians are perceived as ambitious. Uh, and but if you're ambitious, how are you not passionate? Like I feel like it could be like hand in hand. Or are you just like ambitious, but just like cold and mean? <laughs> uh, I don't, I don't know.
1: How they understanding the passion is somewhere like different from how we understand passion. Because I think uh, Hispanic employees in their report were rated the, the group that is most passionate. One of the most, yes. Yeah, the terminology is subject to interpretation. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I mean, the other thing I was going to ask was, like, I just wish they did, like, some sort of, like, even simple thing, like a regression or t t-test or something like that. Just to just compare the, the percentages to see if they're actually meaningful difference. And there probably is, and to just really, really highlight that. Because I think their, da- their data is actually really interesting if they were to actually combine it with, like, some traditional stats. And I think like what we're probably used to is probably like when we say passionate, you know, if we have to operationalize that in the psychological realm. We have to say what it is and what the construct is and what it, the subconstruct may be and all that. Here they just have the word and uh, we, we don't, uh, we're kind of filling the blank ourselves with uh, what passionate means and what ambitious means. And that's why I'm kind of.
1: Yeah. Uh, I think based on my understanding on their methodology, this is goes way back because uh, we were more probing into the technique they were using. Most likely they were using a library uh, where they has words say like they categorize this group of words that falls under passionate or uh, they uh, categorize a group of words. Um, and of course, like, uh, based on the, the technique of the, the, the NLP technique, the library is one way to go. There's a, there's like a word embedding, which is like joining like similar words that kind of give you a cluster of words in that meaning in essence. Um, I don't know where things are at with them today, but m- my educated guess is they probably have some sort of um, behind the scenes categories mm-hmm. that set already, mm-hmm. which m- almost made me wanted to do an audit on how they ca- classify aggressive, how they classify collaborate, how they classify passionate, just because the the, the, the fighting that we find is kind of being counterintuitive. Another area that I wanted
0: to bring up was just how disorganized the report felt at times, you know, they were drawing from several studies, but it was kind of hard to tell like which study they were referring to. What do you think?
2: I think they had like what, three studies, right Jenny? Yep. Like they had uh, the one in the previous year that they alluded to, the one that they're talking about right now. And then th- there's another one where they actually um, surveyed what, 500 folks. And I'm totally with you. Like I was reading through that. And I'm like, what data are you presenting? What are you, what, what? Is it the current study? Is it this other study? Like I couldn't follow them. Like I had to wrap my head around that, and I was trying to figure out, like, what are, you, where are you going with this? Like, where are you, where are you taking me?
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm with you on that. I wish they would have shared that in the methods. You no, know, they kind of went back and forth between different studies. I think one of the study was based on results from an employee survey. So they asked people, mm. you know, how often are you described this way? And then the other study was um, based on actual performance data, like performance management data that they gathered from organizations. But they didn't really make that distinction clear. So I had to go back and forth. And I found myself confused. So I'm glad I'm not the only one who felt that way.
1: Yeah. And Jenny, you know what, this is so interesting is I think what struck me the most is Asians reported 54% of Asians say they understand how to earn their next promotion, meaning there are 46% of them they don't, even though they're getting a lot of positive feedback being described as competent.
2: Mm. And seasoned listeners, you know we have a problem with, with positive Stereotypes,
1: but I'm really questioning, like, what is actionable feedback? I know this is there, like, a proprietary like algorithm to tell whether this feedback is actionable. So, in essence, Asians getting the most feedback on on things they need to improve, and Asians still don't know <laughs> what needed to be done in order to get that promotion.
2: Oh, Gosh, I'm I'm trying to wrap my head around this too, because like. In this case, I feel like it's either actionable or actionable, right? But it doesn't mean that it's quality, or should I be assuming that there's it's quality?
1: Should we just call them and clarify? We get really confused by your report. <laughs> just make sure that we're understanding what you're trying to strike the point here.
2: I <laughs> want a second. Can I second that? <laughs>
1: One thing I also wanted to call out, this concept of like providing hedging feedback is kind of interesting. Yeah, I think what they define like hedging is like uh, the manager give indirect and kind of give you the instructions but not say that exact expectations. That concept is very interesting for two reasons. The first reason, as a people manager, I know sometimes I had a tendency to dilute the ask of my employees or my team. This is so in contrast to all the manager trainings that I have received so far. That, well, even though we need to give direct feedback, but the tone and the feedback that we give, the first one is the one that we actually oppose to, like because that actually trigger people's defense uh, right away that you must, you, you're almost like giving orders to someone. I know, like even from where I have been brought up, and I know this is true for a lot of Asian people. Giving direct feedback is not something that we're good at because we honor or respect this harmonious culture. Like we we are modest, like we we give feedback, but we're not really like trying to dampen the the um, the relationship with each other. So. Even when I see the words they use to, as an example, um, not as like a hedging feedback, I'm like, there's no way I'm going to say this to my team.
0: So I'm curious, how would you ask someone or how would you give someone feedback, Echo?
1: I would probably just say, hey, I noticed that you recently you have this tendency that we have uh, seen like you kept missing those deadlines. I wanted us to come up with the action that uh, how to avoid this happening in the future. You might want to consider this and this and that. And so this is all in this sort of like a conversational format instead of like, hey, so on and so forth, you need to finish this, you need to uh, do this, you have to do this, you must do this. I I don't know. like I. That actually challenged my entire philosophy of being a manager to someone.
0: So sounds more like problem solving together, like partnering with the person as opposed to directing them.
1: Yeah. We should definitely consider giving more like a definite or more clear expectations. So like cutting some words on like a bit or not, or I think some of the example they gave there is the words they consider as hedging words, but I kind of disagree on their. Their, their example that they were given like I some some of the example they were given is too arbitrary that I doubt anyone would think this is a good practice for managers.
2: Wait a second like you know as a as a you know a, a manager and maybe even like a leader in of the team like I mean I, I think there are questions you can ask like you know hey, uh, Brian, can you? do you think you can finish this report by this coming Thursday? And you get a yes and a no out of that. And I don't think it's a you must do it, but it kind of sets a, this is the boundary I'm looking for. If, you, if there's pushback or there are other things that are coming into conflicting with that, like, let me know. Like, I think that the start of that conversation needs to be there, but it needs to be clearer because I feel like otherwise, like some of these examples, they're waffling around. You might want to consider finishing the draft. Like, what do you mean I might want to consider? I mean, should I consider other things? Like, what are you trying to say?
0: I agree with that. And like, I think if you hedge your feedback or your requests, it can actually come across as a suggestion, not an ask or a directive. So I, I, I agree with you, Doug. I think that we need to be more direct about how we make declarations at work. Oh, wow. The truth comes out. So we're really losing faith in this report, huh?
2: (laughs) They have quotes in it. And I'm like, oh, did they actually pull this from actual like actual data they had? But I'm like, it's so poorly written. Like, I don't I actually Oh, gosh, I don't know.
0: It makes you wonder what their background is, the people who were responsible for making this report.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. I do think like the the founders of that team is a PhD in like linguistics or something like that. That's why like I'm not too worried about like using the statistic technique they mentioned in the report. I think it's the angle how you analyze data and interpret the data is usually where I, I I see like their firm can use IOs or social psychologists to help them to interpret the data because those are absolutely like interesting. I just don't know if we would interpret the data in the same way. And oftentimes, like our value added is that interpretation piece.
0: If three PhDs are confused about this report, imagine what it's like reading this report as someone who, you know, maybe you're really smart or like you have an MBA or whatever, but you don't have that technical lens kind of question some of their findings? Like, what's going to happen? For their credit, they do cite actual studies that were done. So for example, they cite like this 2022 study that was done out of Cornell, and I was actually, I downloaded the article and it was published in like um, JPSB, I think. So I, I think at that lens, credibility.
2: This is actually really interesting to take a look at that, you know, what the potential difference makers would be. And for them to dive in, I thought that was actually quite innovative. I think for them to uh come back at this and be a little bit clearer on their own methodology and how they broke certain things down and be clearer on their constructs because i think there could be something there i don't want to discount it completely but i think uh, like jenny you said i think things could be a lot cleaner if they do it maybe potentially a third time around and i know that this could be a white paper this could be a business report it also could be a case study that they use to present to clients as well too to get them on another call to take a look at their platform and all that I think it's a good, uh, it's a decent start. I think they can try to dive like they, if they have this data, it's, it's an opportunity for, uh, if they have data scientists and social scientists to come together and try to, um, make something of this, improve it. Like we, uh, on the things that we mentioned throughout uh, this podcast.
0: And, and to add to your point, Doug, you know, a lot of vendors or solution providers don't even have like an appendix or uh, uh, where they kind of explain their methodology. And these guys, they actually do. So they have a survey methodology. Um, they, they kind of mm-hmm. they describe like what statistical analysis that they use. And they did say that they used logistic regression with propensity score and covariate. So they did control for a lot of things. So they don't say what they controlled for, but they did you know, make an effort to at least have like a somewhat of a methodology section, which I commend them. But we all agree they could have done more. So I guess this brings us to the so what, if I'm a manager, I see this report, and I'm like, Okay, well, uh, Asians are described as intelligent and brilliant, great. There's not much I need to do for them. Other than I guess be more specific about how to get promoted. I mean, what do you you think are, are the main takeaways that someone who maybe does not have our background might take away from this? I would be like more mindful about describing their work and their behavior and not the person. So don't talk about this person being ambitious, aggressive, just talk about the work that they do. And try and do that for whether you're managing a white employee, a black employee, an Asian employee. And I think Potentially, and then this includes myself, like maybe that will start to uncover biases and words that you tend to use for certain groups.
2: Gosh, I would say, like, I, I'm, I'm with you, in That, like, I, I don't think terms like brilliant and genius that show up on my performance review will actually help me out that much. I, for me, what I've done in the past is I actually write logs of what this person, like, what, you know, this person who was reporting into me did right and how I either know, reinforced it or if something this person did wrong and then I had to fix it and how this person continued to do it right and then write about that. It became like from um, every other week to like a month. And then I kind of had those stories that I had ready when the time for the performance appraisal come around. I actually had tangible examples of things that I wanted to continue to happen, things that I didn't want to happen, and where I see this person's growth going, should they continue, and whether they want to have conversations in that, or if that's not something they're interested in at all, we stop the conversation right there. But for me, it became like like uh, biweekly logs and monthly logs of people's behaviors in the workplace, you know, and potentially things that they can do that I know of, and, and it may not happen a uh, grand of startup and always a lot of things were up in the air I also let that person know that as well too because it's it's very real that you know things can just all hit the fan and it all goes to, to shambles um, but I think folks who are in management I would say take good notes on your subordinates and you know give them <laughs> good feedback
0: I think that's a really good actionable item that anybody can start doing, you know, start taking notes. It doesn't have to be a dissertation. It doesn't have to be long, but just write down specific examples. So it's easier to give feedback uh, to your direct reports when you have examples on things that they did well and then things that could be improved. (laughs)
2: Like actually, when we do interviews too, when we take notes on interviews, it's like, you know, we, we try to take it on behaviors that people exhibit and not necessarily how, how, how they did it, whether they were like frustrated or whatnot. Cause sometimes that does come through, but it's one way for us to, uh, even, you know, anchor ourselves because we know the biases are there, but that's that those are interviews. It's still totally different from like performance appraisals, but what, but it's, it's good to be able to write it down and then come back later and say, Oh, this is what this person did this week. And It was great because it made all these other things happen. And I think people hear that like, oh you remember yes. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, thank you, Echo, for putting in the prompts for our chat GPT haiku. Opinions, color, feedback, echoes, veiled biases, truths, hue, often lost.
0: Aww. Simple and elegant. I like it.
2: I love it. I love it. Well, listeners, thank you for joining us on another episode of Hidden in Plain Sight. We'll see you next time.
1: Bye. Bye.